Halford family of the confession and profession of Trip Halford. As I have said, Luke 15 gives us a good context of what the scriptures say about when someone comes to faith. We rejoice because the angels rejoice. Trip has had faith in Jesus Christ. God, by his word and by his spirit, has called Trip out of his state of sin and death in which he was born into by nature and by grace through Jesus. He has allowed Trip to be called effectually to faith in Jesus. Trip has been convinced of his sin and misery apart from Jesus. Trip's mind has been enlightened in the saving knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for him on the cross. And because of Jesus, this gift is free without money by faith in Jesus, freely offered to him the gospel. Trip, the Spirit has given you a new heart. He has renewed your will. You are now able to do what God commands of you, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You've already received the sacrament of baptism, instituted by Christ himself, and you received that sign of the covenant of grace, of the remissions of your sin, that the blood of Jesus has washed you clean, Yet we believe the efficacy of the baptism was not tied to the moment you received it. But by God's good pleasure at the appointed time, you have come to faith. And that time is now, Trip. God has been gracious and faithful to you because of his covenant promises in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, Scripture commands you to be baptized, you and your children, and receive God's sign that distinguishes us from the rest of the world, that we are his people. And Trip, now you are a full member of God's people. You will come and serve the Lord, and you will serve others in this church and lay claim to the covenant promises. So Trip, will you come forward, and will the elders of the Christ Press please come forward? Come on, Warburg, come over here. Trip, do you believe that you are a sinner and that you need God to save you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and trust him alone for salvation offered in the gospel? Do you promise with the help of God the Spirit to follow and obey Jesus every day of your life and to struggle to fight against your sin? Do you promise to help our church to the best of your ability? as a member of God's family with the special gifts that God has given you? Do you promise to follow and help the leadership of the church and to care for God's family? Trip believes in Jesus by faith, not because of anything that he has done, but because of what Christ has done. Let us rejoice. Let's pray for Trip. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you give Trip an ever-ending sense of his assurance of salvation in Jesus, because Jesus is alive. When he comes to this table, may he feast on Christ. May you increase his knowledge of his sin. May you increase his assurance that nothing can separate him 
from the God who loves him and has made him. May we, this church, love him and encourage him all the days of his life to follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is a responsive reading from Isaiah chapter 40. Please join me in the responsive reading. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Look to the... Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Our New Testament reading comes from Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 18, this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It can be also found in your pew Bibles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mock, but others mocking said, They are all filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, 
as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is the holy, inerrant, infallible Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now that we have heard the word of our Lord, let us come together and confess our sins this morning as Tripp has done as well. Let's pray together the prayer of confession as printed in the bulletin. Almighty Father, we desire the power to be in us that will accomplish what is beyond our imagination in your kingdom. We confess that we have not looked to you and waited for your power. We have tried to build your church without your spirit. We have tried to do your work in our own strength. We have trusted too much in our energy, our ingenuity, and our resources. Forgive us for this prideful self-reliance. Empty us of all arrogance and self-sufficiency. Father, fill us with your Spirit. Fill us that we will be supernaturally meek to confess, repent, and rejoice. Fill us that we will be humbly bold in Christ. Teach us to pray in your spirit, to read the scriptures in your spirit, and to walk in your spirit. May we see with the eyes of Christ, hear with the ears of Christ, know with the mind of Christ, and love with the heart of Christ. O Father, hear us in the name of your dear Son. Amen. Lord, you are with us this morning. We are your people and you are our God. Lord, may we represent you well. May we be a people of hope and joy. A people of faith and a people of thankfulness for what you have done for us in Christ. May we represent our thankfulness for what Christ has done in the way that we are generous, forgiving, and loving towards others. Use this church to be a blessing in this community and in this world. May we be set apart for Christ, for his glory alone and not our own. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. During the Advent season, we focus on Matthew chapters 1 and 2, Luke chapters 1 and 2. You know by heart the words, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, where for me we keep returning to those passages like John chapter 1, as he explains theologically the birth of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 speaks as one of the passages in Scripture that speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church. 
I have spent, I've looked back over this last week, over the last three weeks, really, as we've looked at Acts 1 and 2. I've looked back and I have preached uh, on this passage and on the coming of the Holy Spirit more than you would know. Uh, there's no subject that I've approached more frequently in my preaching here at Christ's Press. Uh, there's no subject except the incarnation, the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, I've preached on that more, but barely, because of my firm conviction from Scripture that uh, we have, as we talked about last week, we greatly underestimated uh, and undervalued the power of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church of Jesus Christ. Having said that, we come return to chapter 2 this morning, but before we do, let's pray and ask the Father who was there who sent his Spirit. Let's ask him to teach us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you this morning. In thanksgiving for how you have blessed us as individuals, as families. We've witnessed the coming of trip this morning. How you, how you have blessed our families, how you've blessed our children, our grandchildren. How you've kept us, how you've kept the children and the grandchildren un, inside those blood-stained blood doors. Oh, Father, thank you. We bow before you this morning, not just as prophets who want to bring God's word to Fayette County, who want to bring God's word to our homes, to our houses, to our families, to our neighbors, to our schools, to our work. And our Father, we bow before you as priests. We bow before you as a congregation of priests. The prophet takes God's word to everyone around him. The priest comes before you, Father, to pray for the world around him. Our Father, we could spend the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, talking about how you have answered our prayers as your priests, how you've blessed. And so this morning we continue to pray for Jim Bennington. We thank you that you put him where you have, where for 24-7 he has someone around him to look after him and care for him. We thank you for how you have blessed Billy Griggs in the same way. We pray that you would bless both of these gentlemen. We pray, our Father, that you would cause them at this point in their lives to look forward with anticipation. And, Father, they would live without fear. That they would look forward to going 
to the place that Jesus has prepared. We pray for Tom Morgan for how you have healed his body and brought healing. And we pray that you would continue to heal him and that this, these antibiotics would be effective against sepsis. We pray this morning that you would bless Donna Murphy, that you would speak to her as only you can speak to her. Father, we would pray for healing, but more than that, we pray that you would speak to her and give her a calm heart. We pray that somehow, by the power of your spirit, she will know that she's in your hands and that she's safe, whether she remains here or whether you take her home. Help her to know, Father, she's safe. We pray that you would bring comfort to her family, blessing to her family. And now, as we open your word, we pray that you would teach us. John Sartell is not able to teach or preach so that we will grow in Christ, so that we'll be changed or continue to be changed by the power of your spirit. Father, no one who stands behind this desk can do that. And so we confess that once more we're charity cases, not only physically but spiritually. So we're your children this morning asking their father to teach them, to tell them the story. Make it come alive. Oh, Father, teach us. Teach us of your Son. Teach us of your Spirit. Awaken our souls. Awaken our minds. Awaken our hearts. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Christ Presbyterian Church, Pentecost continued. This is our third and final Sunday in the book of Acts, as we systematically visit every book of the Old and New Testament in our Sunday AM service. That's our quest. In this visit in Acts, we've chosen to focus on the most important event in the book of Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit to Jesus' church. Without the Holy Spirit, without understanding Acts chapter 2, with Acts chapter 2, you cannot understand the rest of the book of Acts. In week one, we looked at the transformation of the disciples in the Gospels wrought by the Holy Spirit. We, we easily identified with those feeble disciples as we saw their record in the Gospels, as we saw their lives in the Gospels. These men who literally ran for their lives. The evening that Jesus was arrested, these same men we saw in Acts fearlessly brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem, to the very people that had crucified Christ. What had happened? What was the difference? The difference was the Holy Spirit had happened to them. Pentecost had happened. And they were changed. Week two, we saw the gigantic nature of Pentecost. Last week, we looked at the gigantic nature of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost. We drew a parallel between the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's, that's where we dwell. In every 
Advent season and then all through the year, we talk of the immensity. The Son of God, God came in the flesh. That's gigantic. The greatest event that ever happened in human history. We drew a parallel between that and the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's just as gigantic. Both were prophesied over and over and over again in the Old Testament. The incarnation of the Son of God and the coming of the Holy Spirit were the two greatest events in all of history. Both were attended by supernatural signs. Both were one-time events that are powerfully affecting this world to this hour. Christ Presbyterian Church is a continuation of what happened at Calvary and what happened at Pentecost. The incarnation marked the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, coming in the flesh to his creation. Pentecost marked the coming of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to Jesus' church. Too often, the Holy Spirit and Pentecost are sort of added to the congreg- added to the incarnation as a postscript. Too often the church has regarded Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit as just, you know, that's it's really not necessary. Yet what did Jesus say? This is what we saw last week. Disciples, you have the message of the incarnation. You have my calling. You have the story of these incredible, my incredible miracles. You have my command to take the gospel to the world. But Jesus said, but you are not with all of that. You are not yet ready. You even have my cross and resurrection, but you're not ready. You go to Jerusalem and don't you dare leave until the Holy Spirit descends on you. Jesus saw the coming of the Holy Spirit as being absolutely necessary to the building of his church. We've underrated the significance of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We've been just as guilty of misunderstanding the depth, of really understanding the depth of the symbols and meaning of Pentecost. And with that, that was a summary of these last two Sundays. I begin with a question this morning. Why did the Holy Spirit choose to come on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost? Why? When I say the word Pentecost, most people think of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit came. Most people don't think of a Jewish celebration a Jewish feast day that had been observed since the time of Moses. Israel's feast day of Pentecost was a feast of what they called the first fruits. It usually occurred, Pentecost usually occurred 50 days after Passover. Hence the name Pentecost. Pente refers to five. What's the Pentateuch? The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Pentecost day is the 50th day. So Pentecost was 50 days 
after the Passover. It would have been in the month of our June. Now behind the incarnation, behind the coming of the Holy Spirit, you have the providence of God. The plan of God. That it just didn't happen by accident. It happened by God's plan, by God's providence. Jesus, when, when did Jesus give his life at Calvary? When did he die for our sins? It was during the Jewish feast day, during the Jewish celebration of Passover. God chose that time. What were the disciples, what, what were the disciples doing that evening in that upper room? They were eating the Passover meal, and that's when Jesus said, This is my blood. Why did he choose to die at Passover? Because Israel for centuries had been eating the Passover lamb. Had been celebrating their deliverance from death and slavery in Egypt. When the Passover lamb was slain and the blood was put on the door. Jesus chose that time. Why? Because he was the lamb of God who came to die for our sins. It was a new Passover. We understand that. So why did the Holy Spirit choose to come at Pentecost? It had to be in the providence of God, by the plan of God. We said a moment ago that it was a celebration of the first fruits. What did that mean? It was when the first of the harvest was being reaped. It's when the farmers and the vineyard growers came in with their harvest, with the beginning of their harvest, their crop. It was beginning at harvest. It's, it's beginning. Here are the first fruits of harvest this year. It was a promise of more to come. You taste the first of something and you say, ah, oh, it's a great harvest coming. The first fruits is a prophecy that there's more to come. Now, this is how Paul saw the coming of the Holy Spirit. I want you to look on your scripture sheets at Romans 8, verse 18, or take a Bible. If you don't have a scripture sheet, reach down to get a Bible and turn to Romans 8 and look at verse 18. Now, hang with me. This is important. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth and until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, now look, look at this, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that Spirit with a capital S, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, grown, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul understood the connection between the old feast of Pentecost and the new feast of Pentecost. 
Someday heaven, people, someday heaven will come down. Christ will return and all creation will be restored. We yearn for that. We long for that. That's what this passage is saying. Well, the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of that restoration. Do you understand that? Jesus called his church to continue the work of restoration that they had witnessed in him. Everywhere Jesus went, he pushed back the darkness. He, everywhere he went, he had to make the blind person to see. Why? Because it was a result of the fall, a result of sin in this fallen planet. He said every time he saw the effect of sin, he pushed back against it. That's what the church of Jesus Christ goes. Remember we said a few Two Sundays ago, we talked about this and we said, wherever the church goes, wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ happens, what, I mean, wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ goes, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, what happens? A church begins. Isn't that right? People come to know Christ. You go to a village and there's no church. There's no gospel. They know nothing of Christ. The gospel is preached. And what happened? People come to know Jesus Christ. And what happens? A church is built. But that, but, what happens? This is beautiful. Everywhere the church goes, you can't find a place where the church is gone. Where schools haven't been built. Where the church, the church builds schools wherever it goes. The church builds children's homes wherever they go. The church builds hospitals wherever they go. I'm going to St. Francis Hospital in the morning. Have a test. Name the other hospital. Baptist Hospital. They're not, those weren't, those didn't begin by secular people and say, you know, it'd be good to name it after the Baptists out here. It was a bunch of Baptists that got together that did it because that's what the church does. We're pushing back the darkness. That's why the Holy Spirit chose to come on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost. He's the seal of God's promise that there is more to come. That Jesus is returning. There will be a complete restoration. We read it a moment ago. Paul was saying, inside of me, there's a yearning, a yearning created for the Holy Spirit. The whole creation yearns to be restored. I want to be restored. John Newton said it this way. I love this. If you want this quote afterward, just ask me. I'll give it to you. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. This is the man that wrote Amazing Grace. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But I'm not what I used to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He could have added, I'm being restored by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We can call that the prophetic reason that the Holy Spirit chose to come. In God's promise, he chose to come on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost. That's good to know. Well, to know that. Yet there's another prophetic reason the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Look at Acts 2.5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout from every nation under heaven, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Folks, that's not just a random list. 
Luke knew exactly what he was doing. Luke systematically covers the known world with this analysis of the crowd. Parthians, Medes, Elamites were residents of Media Persia. That's Mesopotamia, the region east of Israel. That's where Babylon, that's, that's where Persia was. Then there's a region, there, there's Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Phrygia, Pamphylia. That was the immediate region around Jerusalem, around Galilee, around Israel. Provinces to the north and west in Asia Minor. Egypt and Libya, that's Africa and that lands to the south. Rome, that was the entire empire to the west. The Cretans represented the islands and the Arabs, the nomadic people. Luke was saying everyone was there. What a great picture. Remember these, these are, these are Galileans. And Peter would have said, uh, we, 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 we don't want to hang out with those Gentiles. What a great picture. People from every culture and language in the world were there at Pentecost. They had come for this celebration. Come by the tens of thousands. This was a huge feast day. Jesus was saying that day what he had told the disciples. The disciples saw a picture of what was going on. The gospel was going to go to the ends of the earth. In Revelation 5, 9, we read that verse we love. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. You by your blood. You ransom people from God. You ransom people for God just from Israel? Just from Jerusalem? No, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Right at the beginning, Jesus was giving his disciples the Holy Spirit was giving the disciples a picture of how far his kingdom would reach and how diverse it would be. This is what my church will look like. Several years ago, I was in a room with the most diverse group of which I'd been a member uh, or been with, physically with. Uh, before that time, I'd never been with such a diverse group. Since that time, I've never been with a more diverse group. In this room, there was a Naga Indian from Nagaland, in what used to be Burma, a Korean, a man from the Congo, a man from the Congo, a warrior of the Teve tribe, an Indonesian, several Chinese, several South Americans from Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, someone from India, another from Malaysia. There were people from Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Poland, and Belgium. One from Spain, one from Portugal, Portugal. Someone from Ireland, a Scandinavian from Norway, a person from Singapore, an Arab from Jerusalem, and a young man from Tabasco, Mexico. I was not visiting the UN. I was in a room at Reform Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. I looked around me, and I thought about Pentecost. I said, this is what, this is what the Holy Spirit was talking about. This is what the Holy Spirit was saying. In that room, we were Pentecost contained. Be sure when we try to limit the church to our group, to our race, to our nation, Jesus is going to introduce us to somebody that's completely different.
And when he walks in with him, he's going to say, they're with me. Those were two prophetic reasons he came at Pentecost. But there's also a strategic reason he chose to come on this particular Jewish feast day. What happened at Pentecost was an execution of a smart, practical, intelligent strategy. We could have labeled this the plan of Pentecost, the strategic plan of Pentecost. This was usually the best attended feast that Israel had during the whole year. It was because of the favorable weather. It was a good time for travel. A few years ago, I watched a movie. Maybe you've seen a movie like this. There's been about three or four of them. But this was one particular movie, and there were some very bad people, some terrorists, who were planning to attack not just the nation, but the world with a contagious disease. They were going to distribute, and I can't remember whether it was in London or New York, but they were going to distribute the bacteria, the bad disease was going to be distributed through the vents in, a, in an area in either New York or London. Why did they choose to do that? That was strategic. Because all these people, I was traveling through uh, Atlanta several several weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, you, you people say to go to heaven, we'll have to go through Atlanta, the airport in Atlanta. And, and I came back and I looked it up and I said, how many people at one time are at the Atlanta airport? You know, all those people you see, how many people are there? And it was something between, it was over 200,000 people at a time. Do you think about that? And what they were going to do, these, what are these people doing? They're going, get, they're getting on planes and they're going to every airport in the world, every nation in the world, all over the place. Well, that's what these terrorists were going to do. They were going to, to plant the bacteria and people would get on planes and carry it all over the world. That's why the Holy Spirit chose to come on the Jewish feast day at Pentecost. In a matter of days or weeks, these pilgrims there were going to scatter to the four winds. And the contagion of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit would go with them. Why did the Holy Spirit choose to come on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost? Two prophetic reasons and one strategic reason. Second question. Why did the Holy Spirit have the disciples speak in foreign tongues? Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And look at verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, sometimes as Presbyterians, we've been afraid of passages like this. We think of this as gibberish and chaos. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, it's not chaos, I can tell you. 
In the list of the fruit of the Spirit, what's the last one? Self-control. Paul preached against emotional chaos in the church. That's not what this was. All the people gathered in Jerusalem at Pentecost did not speak. All these people did not speak the same language. They needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own tongue, in their own language. This is, this is a reverse of the Tower of Babel. It was for the communication of the gospel. This morning, we all speak English. I don't need to speak in tongues to communicate the gospel to you. But I do need to speak in the tongue of the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Spirit. That's what this was. Don't make it more complicated than that. It's communicating the gospel. Judy Jacobson. You will meet her next Sunday morning. She is one of the most unique, if not unique, missionaries I've ever known in my life. She attended seminary. No, excuse me. Let me start at the beginning. She was a college professor in Wyoming. She had a doctorate taught out there. She became a Christian. Was in some way associated with independent, the Mother Church of Christ Presbyterian. She studied at seminary. She studied under one of the great mission teachers in the Christian church in the 20th century was Paul Long, and she studied under Dr. Long. She became a missionary going to Tibet, China, Mongolia, has a very, very unique ministry. One time I saw her after she had returned from Mongolia, and she told me of a man named Bosin Hu. The Russians who controlled Mongolia had sent Vazenhu to Moscow to learn Russian and to learn communism. When he arrived, he roomed in Moscow with a man from Ethiopia. That was the first black man Vazenhu had ever seen. The Ethiopian knew English, and Vazenhu not only wanted to learn Russian, he wanted to learn communism, but he wanted to learn English. And so he asked the Ethiopian to teach him. And the Ethiopian said, I'll teach you under two conditions. One, that this is not something we'll play at. You'll study every day. And I will teach you English from the Bible. We're going to read the Bible together and you're going to learn English. They were together three years. You know the rest of the story. Bosnian, who had been taken to Russia to learn Russian and communism, but when he got there, he learned English and he learned Jesus. That's Pentecost right there. That's a simple picture of Pentecost. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. One must be careful. It's not the tongues that's important. It's the Holy Spirit communicating the gospel. 
tongues were just a part of it for that day. Look with me. We're at the end. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 2, 3 and 5. Now, I read this frequently before I come to the pulpit on Sunday morning. When Paul was going to the most wicked city in the world at that time, Corinth, he is, it's later now, he's, he's been in preached and the church has started and he leaves and he's writing this letter back to Corinth. He is reminding them of when he first came to them. And this is what he said. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. The city was so wicked. And my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit, capital S, and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. People, the gospel, Paul was saying the gospel can never be communicated from our lips to the hearts of men without the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We're going to close with this. But if you've been asleep, if you've not, shame on you. This, this is solid stuff. This is good. This is powerful. But if you haven't been paying attention, pay attention to this. And this is why I keep coming back to this. Because just as the church has twisted the incarnation and, 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 and messed it up, some people not believing in it at all, we've done this, churches have done the same thing with the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's all sorts of doctrine out there. And I don't want Christ Presbyterian Church to be led astray in this. There's a real danger in seeking the signs and not the substance of Pentecost. The tongues were necessary to the moment. But they were just a miraculous sign for that moment. Last week we answered the question of why there was a powerful and loud wind inside the house that accompanied the coming of the Holy Spirit. We answered the question, why were tongues of fire that accompanied the coming of the Holy Spirit? We saw all through Scripture, the wind, all through Scripture, the wind represents the Holy Spirit. The very word spirit meant in Greek and Hebrew meant breath, meant wind, a holy wind. We saw that fire was used all through Scripture to represent the presence and power of God. So where are these signs? I've never once in this room, since we've been in this room or over at the car dealership, what used to be a car dealership when we met there, never once did a fierce wind blow through there during the worship. A loud drawing wind like a tornado. Didn't happen. So where are these signs? You know, we want wind and fire. Wouldn't you like to see wind blow through here this morning? It's a wow. It's not the wind and fire that were the object. The main point of Pentecost. It was not the wind and fire that were the object of the events. What did the wind and fire symbolize? The coming of the Holy Spirit. The wind represented the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. The fire represented the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And it's just our nature to say, wow, I, I want those signs. That's the great danger. Calvin Miller, a wonderful Christian writer, minister, teacher, wrote a book titled Once Upon a Tree, talking about Calvary. And he talks about the tendency of Christians in every generation to seek the spectacular. He said they were like Herod. When the church does that, we're like Herod. When Jesus stood before Herod, remember? This debauched king, and here was Jesus, and he had heard about Jesus. He had heard that he made blind people see and deaf people. You know what he said to Jesus? He said, Jesus, do a trick. Show us a trick, Jesus. This is what Calvin Miller wrote. I want you to listen. Herod sought a spectacular something. He loved spectacle. The Jews were always speaking of divided seas and flaming servants and serpents and fiery furnaces. Herod would have liked to have had some such sign. Nevertheless, Jesus was certainly not the one to gratify Herod's inordinate desire for spectacle. Miller continues. Herod's legion is still in the church today. Fields of suburbanite Christians migrate from congregation to congregation, propelled by a wanderlust for the greatest Christian show on earth. This ecclesiastical restlessness keeps the holy work of God's saving community at sea. Its saving work cannot prosper while the community wanders in search for something glitzy to fill a shallow heart. Where the reverbs and colored spots meet is only a place of plastic discipleship. Where the lost sheep demonstrate how lost they are by begging the shepherd to place to replace his crook of pastoral care for vaudeville, hat, and cake. People hear me. We don't need the angels of Bethlehem today. We need the Savior of Bethlehem and the Savior of Calvary. We don't need the wind and fire of Pentecost today. We need the Holy Spirit of Pentecost. Wind and fire are not sure signs of the Holy Spirit. Sin, however, sinners like us, you know what a sure sign is? Sinners like us can only love Jesus. We can only love Jesus if our hearts have been changed and set afire by the power of the Holy Spirit bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the sign. That's what we should desire. Our hymn is a reflection of this message. Spirit of God, descend upon our hearts.